Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallant. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sitkus. And together we host the Silver Screen Savers podcast. You know, usually, guys, we like to have fun here on the show, but tonight we're having even more fun because it's a cruise night, guys. All right, we're talking about somebody who, in some ways, has been the movie star of the last 35 years. And Tyler, who is it? Tom Cruise. That's it, Tom Cruise. I wanted this to be a 10-part episode. Uh, Matt and Tyler were wise and talked me out of that, but we're going to be discussing his whole career. We are also going to have a separate episode review of Top Gun Maverick, his new movie, in about a week. Unfortunately, not all of us got to see it in time, but that's okay. It's coming. And really, Cruise's career, as you can tell by the volume of my voice, deserves its own episode. But a couple of things first. We want to remember another great movie star, Ray Liotta, who passed away recently. Of course, the center of Goodfellas, star of Field of Dreams, Something Wild, Unlawful Entry, amongst many, many others. He had a great run in recent years of Marriage Story, No Sudden Move, and was the two, two best parts in The Many Saints of Newark. And Tyler, he was a voice in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Absolutely. That's a favorite of yours. (laughs) He was, Mr. Liotta was such one of those actors who just totally had their own special quality that nobody else has he was always supremely watchable he has this very unique voice um you know the sound that he has you always listen closely when he was speaking he was funny he was able to pull off really intense emotions without seeming silly uh we hope he and his family are at peace what's your guys relationship to ray liotta you said it all um the lead of goodfellas he quit smoking with chantix you know I don't know. <laughs> I, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> um, wow. His his signature deep blue eyes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He he was an undeniable presence. He was just an undeniable presence. So Tyler, what about you? I mean, he was, what's it called? He was Tommy Versetti. I mean, that, I used to play that game so much in my childhood. Um, so I, I just grew up with that voice. So, and of course, Goodfellas um, was one of my favorite movies. Um, you know, Tommy Versetti is quite the role model to have as a child. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I aspired to be him. <laughs> but him and Philip Michael Thomas, uh, that was such a great game. <laughs> yeah, we we will miss him greatly. Time for weekly watch list, guys. Matt, what have you been watching this week? Oh goodness, throw me a curveball here. Um. I've been watching COVID, the COVID Chronicles, a.k.a. my life. Oh, no. <laughs> um, give me one second. Uh, I caught up on some Tom Cruise stuff. I watched Collateral. I watched Rain Man. I also caught some just some random movies that I hadn't seen before. I watched, uh, I watched a newer one called You Won't Be Alone, with, <laughs> um, which had to have been probably one of the most boring movies I've watched this year. I, I really love the premise, the whole like supernatural present presence and like the witchiness and I, I thought it was gonna be like a, something along the lines of the witch and it was in the sense that it wasn't in your face like gore horror, but it did not have any of the historical charm or or really the engaging plot that the witch had. Mm-hmm. It was just very forgettable to me. It was a movie I really wanted to like, but I just I it never hooked me. Um, I watched Eight Mile 
which is a movie that, as surprisingly, I hadn't seen up until this past weekend. What did you think? I enjoyed it. I thought it was very good. Um, it's got Eminem, a young Anthony Mackie. It's got um, who else was that in there? Oh yeah, Brittany Murphy, a great, yeah. Kim great role by Kim Basinger. Yeah. Um, if you're a fan of like. Even if you're not a huge fan of Eminem, it's still worth checking out. It's got a good story to it. Um, I watched A House on the Bayou, which was just like a middle-of-the-road Blumhouse movie. Nothing spectacular, but it was enough to keep my attention for about an hour and a half. Hmm. And I rewatched Pulp Fiction. Oh, awesome. Any new insights this time? Um, I, um... I just I just deeply appreciate this movie every time I watch it. Yeah. There's not much I can say about it that hasn't already been said. So I'll I'll hold off on this time around. I just yes or no question. Do you feel bad for the gimp? <laughs> That's a complicated question. Um <laughs> uh we can move past it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about Pulp Fiction one day. Depends on if it depends on if the Gimp was there on his own volition or not. <laughs> okay, that's true. <laughs> the great unsolved character of cinema, like, the basement like, Gimp. <laughs> like, like if he fell into Zed's trap the same way that Butch and Mar- Marcellus did, then obviously I feel bad for him. He's like, and he can't speak. He can't like explain himself. Be like, hey, I was kidnapped too. You know, he's just kind of there. <laughs> Uh, Tyler, what have you been watching this week? So this week, I watched my boys Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown beat the Miami Heat, take the Celtics to the finals. Yeah, that was, that was by, the, by a hair, hair's margin. I, I, they yeah. won, that's all that matters. Max yeah, Struess did step out of bounds, just want to let you know, hey, people from Miami, Max Struess stepped on the line. That three didn't count, they got it right. We love you though, Miami. And also, I watched the Obi-Wan first episodes, and, you know, I just think Disney is hitting me over the head with so much Star Wars that I'm just like, my reaction to this was like, eh. <laughs> like hmm. I just did not care much. If a, if a Star Wars movie came out this year, would you guys be excited for it? Hell yeah. It, not, not under Disney, no. <laughs> I think I would be. It's been long enough now, even though as not a fan I was at all of the previous two movies uh I'd still be excited for it I mean as long as you get the right talent behind it you know yeah yeah it's it's just it's such an expansive world that there are so many great things you can do with it so like even if not every project turns out great there's always the potential for that's, it that's that's what that makes sense that's what Disney needs it's an expansive world you have one of the biggest sci-fi playgrounds to play around with not everything has to be on the skywalkers you can yeah, leave them alone for 10 minutes. That's a good point. I mean, it seems like they might start branching out. We'll see with um, with some more creative stuff. I mean, they got a Taika project coming up. They got a John Watts project coming up. You know, two directors that I'm, I've am i been very impressed with. Yeah, it's going to be like Luke Skywalker Jr. <laughs> yeah, cast Tom Holland in that shit. Oh, God. <laughs> Hell yeah, let's go. Actually, yeah, that, that would happen. <laughs> All right, well, stay tuned for our Star Wars talk on a future episode. Uh, I only watched one new thing this week. In addition to catching up on some other stuff, I watched uh, a movie called Montana Story. This is about 
two siblings who are torn apart by family trauma who return to their Montana home to watch over their dying father. This is written and directed by longtime filmmaking team Scott McGeehy and David Siegel. This movie has some very good elements. The performances are all wonderful. Uh, Gilbert Warrow, who plays the father's nerf, stood out to me. He was very excellent. Owen Teague and Haley Lou Richardson, who play the siblings, are both carrying a lot of emotion and subtle performances. I don't really love this movie. Matt, it was kind of similar to what you said about You Won't Be Alone. It just, like, never hooked me, even though it was, like, an inch away from hooking me. Um, I think... Haley Lou Richardson and Owen Teague are two performers to look out for, though. I think they're going to do some great stuff. The movie has a very interesting family tension at the center of it, which I won't spoil. But it's the sort of conflict that could make for a spectacular movie. However, this one, it just doesn't fill the time well. Pace is too slow. And the individual scenes, while competently done, don't really create any sort of momentum towards anything. The moments that are supposed to be super emotional just didn't hit me. And they just come when you expect them to, right? This is a quiet, patient, rural family drama. And if you're a fan of that kind of movie, I would suggest checking it out. Uh, It's got a pretty low theater run right now. I'm sure it'll make its way to VOD in the near future. Are you guys ready to talk about Tom Cruise? Not as ready as you are, but... (laughs) (laughs) Tom Cruise? I thought this was an Adrian Brody episode. No, that is a... I don't know, when, when would we get to the point where we do a full episode on Adrian Brody? When Blonde comes out. Is he in Blonde? He is. He plays one of her husbands. Oh. Is he Arthur Miller? Maybe. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Can't wait for that. Well, guys, if we're talking movie stars, people I want to see on screen... Performers with a track record that stands among the very best. Tom Cruise is a superstar among superstars. I can't say enough about how much I love the movies, the performances. He's made so many iconic films, not easy to do. He doesn't have a perfect record. There are a few bad ones, including maybe one of the worst films I have ever seen, which we'll get to. I'm constantly amazed and confused by what he chooses to do. And he also has a very fascinating and telling career, but... Tyler, what do you think of Tom Cruise? So I do, I agree with you. Tom Cruise is one of like the biggest movie stars of all time. Like he's still like one of the remaining movie stars. Like people go to the movies to see him. And I think that's rare nowadays. Uh, It's a shame about all the Scientology and stuff (laughs) that really hurt him. Mm. But I mean, like I enjoy most of his movies and I I think he has a lot of uh, roles that he just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, totally. Matt, what do you think? I um I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise guy. I gotta say, I mean he's got some stuff that I liked, but I can't. I'm not one of those people that goes to the movies to see Tom Cruise. Uh, I think he's a bit pretentious as a person, which I gotta try and separate that from the movies, I suppose. But I he's just not a draw for me. He never has been. Um, you know it it. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't want to be disparaging because I. I want to give credit where credit's due rain man is fantastic a lot of the movies on this list are fantastic collateral was decent top gun okay oh, get out of here decent. I, I, get the hell out of here decent is decent a bad word now i'm confused it's not it's a good just, enough word it's understated <laughs> absolutely hey but be honest that's that's what we're all about being 
we're we're having integrity, right? <laughs> with our movie. There's Jesus. no integrity in saying Collateral was a decent movie. That's, there's no integrity there. No, no, man. Be honest in your opinions. That's what we're all about. Uh, it's an honest forum here. But I, I have to I'll say, s- go ahead. I'll say that my opinion of him has softened a bit has in doing my watches for this movie or for this episode. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 Hopefully, I can convince you a little more. I really just think there's nobody else like him. I know I said that about Ray Liotta. It is certainly true of Tom Cruise. You know how there's like an essence of a person? There's that ineffable quality that makes them them? No one has the Tom Cruise essence except him, for better or worse sometimes. You can't bottle it. It is certainly not without its issues, but it always makes him stand out in his movies, as I said, for better or worse sometimes uh, for the movie and for his co-stars. As you can with many movie stars, especially him, he's one of the best examples because he was one of the world's biggest stars for continuous decades up until now. Maybe maybe not the last decade. Well, still made a ton of money. But you can track the trend of the movie industry through him. He's always been such a huge box office draw. You can track the kinds of movies that have made money with what he is in and what works for him. Um, and he is also just the epitome of one type of male beauty. So that is a huge movie star factor. You guys ready for these movies? Because it's a long list. Hit us. You know, he's got some smaller parts in earlier films. He's in Taps. He's in The Outsiders with the whole cast of young actors that are going to go on to do great things. But his first sort of like this is Tom Cruise role comes in 1983 with Risky Business. This is the Paul Brickman film. I think it is a near-perfect movie. It's most often described as the movie about a man who's, or a teen, I should say, whose parents go out of town, so he runs a brothel out of it. And that's part of it, but there's a lot more to it. Cruz is really genuine and funny as this teen who's in over his head, but he's excited by this sort of like newfound self, this persona uh, that has been dragged out of him. The scene where Cruz dances to old-time rock and roll in the dress shirt has transcended the movie, right? Even people who have never seen this, you know what it is, right? You can picture it in your head. You know the song. It's funny. It's insightful. It's not just like a teen sex comedy. It's really insightful about unexercised urges, whether they be sexual or mostly economic, and the temptation to do something to make a lot of money because honest ways of getting money are not cutting it, right? What is the consequence of an absence of honest opportunities economically? That sort of thing. Have, I, have either of you seen this? Mm-mm. I have not. You should right away. It is incredible. What is not incredible is his other movie later in 1983, which is All the Right Moves. This is about Cruz as a high school football player in a steel town who's trying to earn a scholarship so he can avoid the dying steel plant. He doesn't want to be stuck in his hometown. This movie is aggressively 1980s. From the music to the freeze frame ending to the fact that several things in this have aged quite poorly, including like a locker room dance scene like just not not ideal it's an okay sports drama i can't recommend it very much there are plenty of other things to watch a couple years later in 1985 we get legend this is where Cruz worked with ridley scott and thank god he did this is a fantasy film where the world is split between a very idyllic forest 
where Cruz and Mia Sara play Jack and Lily, who are kind of like Adam and Eve figures that admire the majesty of unicorns running around the woods. That's really what the movie is about. The other part of this world is a world of fire and evil led by Darkness, who is played beautifully, magnificently by Tim Curry. Uh, he is seeking to capture the unicorns and harness their power. The narrative is a little thin, uh, but this is one of the most mesmerizing films I've ever seen. Like, this world, this fantasy world, is the place I want to visit in my dreams every night. There's so much design and invention in all the little details here. The construction of darkness as this giant red creature with these giant devil horns is so well done. And thank God they had Tim Curry behind that. And it resists a good classic, you know, good and evil tale. And it recognizes that evil can be put away, but not completely eliminated. As far as Cruz's role, this movie was a big failure. And while he is definitely tuned into the whole thing he's giving a good performance there isn't much of a character here he's hugging foxes he's doing swan dives and as roger ebert and many other critics pointed out this could have been played by many actors any young star but Cruz and mia sarah are quite good in it in 1986 the next year we get to the star making part and that is top gun of course, the subject of the legacy sequel that we got this year. He goes from one Scott brother to another with his son. This time it's Tony Scott, Tom Cruise's Maverick, who's a hotshot pilot in a top Naval Academy. I don't like this movie very much. Tyler, what do you think? Yeah, I just, I don't think it lives up to like the hype it had, like even like the legacy of it. I just, even rewatching it, I'm just like, this movie's not that great. Uh, yeah. Like, even some of the lines that are quoted just don't land that well when you watch them. Like, we were talking the other day about the need for speed line. Like, they're just kind of thrown away, like, given really no emotion behind it. And that became, like, a famous line. Yeah, this is um, one of those movies where, and I've, I've found several examples of these, where if you don't have a big relationship with it when you're young, it just doesn't seem to translate. Like, I, some of my favorite movies are like that. Like, I had a relationship with them when I was a kid, so I love them now, but other people who watch them now are like, eh. And I find this to be the case with this. Excuse me. I find that to be the case with this. I didn't see it when I was a kid. I didn't see it till I was older. I think it's pretty overrated. It's not that bad. There are some funny moments. Uh, Anthony Edwards is particularly good. The karaoke moment in the beginning is fun. Tyler, I know that you I just, hate I it. I hate that moment. <laughs> Um, her, him following her into the bathroom is is bad. It's just bad and very very 80s. So many of the things they make Kelly McGillis do is not good. I'm I'm going to talk about her in the Top Gun Maverick uh, episode. Everything in this is pretty flat. In the wake of the sequel, I've heard a lot of good critical arguments for the first one. I haven't been converted though. I just don't see it when I watch the movie. The characters don't really seem like full people. The stakes don't really work for me. Kelly McGillis is good in a role that should be a lot better. Uh, the best things that came out of this movie are Danger Zone and Take My Breath Away, which did win the Academy Award for Best Original Song. Unfortunately, it was used during a love scene where there's no lips touching whatsoever. It's all tongues, which, thank God, I did not see this when I was a kid because I would have just been like, oh, that's how you kiss. That's the best way to kiss. Right? Because that's what you do. You're just like, oh, I guess that's what you do. If Tom um, Cruise is doing it, I gotta be doing it. Yeah. 
It really can't be denied, though, that this is a cultural touchstone. So many people have a deep affection for this movie, and I really love movies like that, even if I don't like it myself. It's made over $350 million, and as I said, established Cruz as a major star, like, right away. The next year, 86, I'm sorry, not the next year, the same year, he has The Color of Money, right? The Scorsese film about a hotshot pool player teaming up with a former pool hustler, Paul Newman, to make some money in the halls and on the tournament circuit. I really like this movie. It's kind of like its own legacy sequel to The Hustler from 1961. Cruz has a couple of absolute A-plus moments, including the Werewolves of London dance when he's shooting perfectly (laughs) around the table. And when he goes, I'm an animal. Animal! And then when he... (laughs) He holds his own against Paul Newman, right? Which is a great sign for a blooming movie star and foreshadows some similar things to come. Uh, The moment when he, you know, the guy says, what's in the box? And he goes, doom, with his signature smile. Some peak image making. 1988, we get Cocktail. (laughs) Oh, boy. For this being a movie starring two of my favorite performers, Cruz and Elizabeth Shue, when I first watched this, I thought it was one of the worst movies that I had ever seen, ever. Like, I was just watching it in awe of, like, what is this? It's about Cruz as a bartender who tries to make a lot of money. The script, while it's, like, kind of going for some capitalist 80s economic stuff, it, the script is ridiculous. This is the beginning of the Cruz WTF moments, which we've gotten many of in the years since. And the one I'm thinking of is when he he does this thing where when he's working in the bar and there's three waitresses, he tells them to cover his hand with theirs, and they all do. And then when they take their hands off, he just, like, wiggles his on the bar and goes, like, I don't (laughs) even know what the trick is. I don't don't know what the scene is. I've never been able to find anything on it. Maybe somebody else has. Are you Even sure, Cruz are you has sure admitted that, just that isn't you fabricating that scene from like a from like a bad dream you had as a kid. I'm certain because I saw this movie as an adult. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm willing to believe that maybe I was slipped a drug in one of my meals before <laughs> I watched this. <laughs> But no, even Cruz has admitted that this is not the shining jewel of his career. For me, the best part of it is the yuppie poet. That was kind of funny. I like that guy. 1988, we get an, an all-timer, Rain Man. Matt, you said you watched Rain Man. What did you think of it? I thought it was, um, I thought it was very good. People talk about Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman's performance as being the standout in that movie, and it definitely is. But Tom Cruise plays off of it very well. Mm-hmm. Or I'd really say it's almost more Dustin Hoffman playing off of Tom Cruise because it really starts, it, it follows Tom Cruise more so than than Dustin Hoffman's character. Um, this is the first thing I thought about this movie, which is, I guess my it goes back to my general opinion of Tom Cruise, is he plays a really good douchebag. Or at least a character that starts out as a douchebag that, yeah, like in this movie eventually has an epiphany and has a change of heart. So, like, I guess he's really good at that whole hero's journey thing. But Yeah, he really is. This movie is about, uh, he plays Charlie Babbitt, who is a failing car salesman, who, after his father dies, finds out that he has a brother, Raymond, who is an autistic savant. 
I think this and one other movie that we'll talk about soon are the best acting that Cruz probably has ever done. This role is very difficult to play. We experience the movie through him. Matt, like you said, Hoffman gets so much of the attention, but like our emotional journey is with Cruz. So if he fails, the journey falls apart. But he eats up every moment. There are so many quotable lines and rewatchable scenes in here. I, I find this to be probably his most authentic performance. In later films, there's like a sense that Cruz is not totally on the same plane of reality as the other characters in the movie. But in this one, I, I think he's very authentic, very emotionally affecting. This film has a complicated legacy that I'd like to discuss. I will say first, if you're just talking dramatically, narratively, this film is a knockout. It's so emotionally resonant, so funny, exciting, heartbreaking. And while there are issues with this movie, it surprisingly refuses to go down the road that you want it to, especially in the end. I first watched this as a kid with my grandma, so it does have a special attachment for me. But I was curious years later to see it with adult eyes, and it was even better than I remembered it. The portrayal of autism has had a mixed legacy. I've read many opinions about this. Some people take issue with stereotypes that may have been perpetuated by the movie. This also preceded many of the playing a disability Oscar contenders. Hoffman did win for this, um, and that probably led to some movies that, that did not handle things with sensitivity. On the other hand, some people will say that while flawed... It was one of, if not the first time, that they saw a character with autism who was portrayed as somebody the audiences could love and root for. And also medical research funding for this extended like so much after this movie came out. Uh, Raymond was the character, was based in part on one of screenwriter Barry Morrow's friends, Kim Peek, who was a savant, though it is disputed now if he had autism. So there's a complicated legacy to this movie, but it was a smash hit. Had a budget of $25 million, it made over $350 million. Can you guys imagine that now? A movie Rain, Rain Man with a premise like this making $350 million? Yeah, you just gotta have MCU characters in it. And then... <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I won't get on my old man high horse. Um, but it is a little sad. It was the lead nominator at the Oscars. It was the big winner of the night with four picture director for barry levinson actor for hoffman and screenplay um yeah yeah lee i'll check if it's lead nominator after that in 89 we get born on the fourth of july this is the oliver stone film based on the autobiography by anti-war activist ron kovic this movie is phenomenal and it i think paired with rain man this is the best acting that cruz has ever done this is his first oscar nomination it was for lead actor he lost to daniel day lewis uh, who also did a disability in my left foot. On the surface, Cruz's performance just seems like lame Oscar fodder. You know, he's playing a real person. He's in a wheelchair for about half the movie. He's wearing the wig, mustache. But his performance is excellent. There are so many moments that depend just on close-ups of his face that don't cut away. They just linger there as life-altering things are happening. He nails it every time. Uh, he also has to age a lot in the movie. It moves from this very like heaven-like ideal Americana days of his youth to war, to post-war life, to his exile from his community, to returning to a higher purpose. I cannot recommend Born on the Fourth of July enough. It's what I want out of Cruz, and it's what I want out of Oliver Stone as well. Uh, days of Thunder in 90. <laughs> How do you guys see Days of Thunder? I did watch Days of Thunder. No. What would you think? 
Uh, I love Cole Trickle. <laughs> that, that sounds insincere. <laughs> it's, a, it's a goofy as hell movie. So, yeah, you know. it really is. This is his second collaboration with Tony Scott. It's about a race car driver. It's not very good. It's really cheesy. If you're a racing fan or a fan of sex workers grabbing Cruz's crotch, then go ahead and give this a watch. But otherwise, this movie really feels like a goodbye to the 1980s. It's also, I don't, I don't mean to be like ragging on the 80s. I love the 80s, but like a couple of bad examples here. It's also notable that this is the film that brought together Cruz and Nicole Kidman, which would lead to marriage and a creative partnership that would culminate in one of the strangest movies at the end of the 90s. <laughs> Uh, 92 Far and Away. I'm going to bet $100 now that neither of you have watched Far and Away. I have not even heard of Far and Away. <laughs> well, let me tell you about it. This is Cruz's historical epic. Uh, it's about an Irish immigrant who gets into various things in America. He's a bare-knuckle boxer. He goes west for land. He has an Irish accent. It's his second movie co-starring Nicole Kidman. This is a Brian Grazer, Ron Howard film. It's pretty traditional, overstuffed, overlong. I admire the ambition of it, but the story really is not that compelling. Some of the photography is very beautiful. And while none of it is that bad, none of it is that good. It's in that like that middle period that is like somehow even worse to watch than a bad movie. And it received mixed reviews. It's it made some good money, but not a phenomenon by any means. In this movie that is 2 hours and 20 minutes, there's a scene where Cruz demonstrates how to wash your clothes, which feels like it could have been could have been cut out. Dang, um, Tom Cruise is teaching me how to kiss and how to wash my clothes. Yes, exactly. Fortunately, in '92, we also get a few good men, and he just kills it in this one. The amount of times that I've wanted to scream, "Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red?" in my daily life is embarrassing. <laughs> it's the first movie that Aaron Sorkin wrote. Rob Reiner directed about military attorneys who investigate the murder of a Marine by his fellow soldiers. The script is A+. You can't handle the truth. And again, it's transcended the movie. People know what it is who haven't seen the movie. It's peak legal drama. I always appreciated that there's no one who's completely right in this case. It's one you can think about and reshape in your mind many times. And I'm very, very thankful that they didn't shoehorn in romance between, between Cruz and Demi Moore because um, that would have just been the worst thing that, to ever been put on screen. Jack Nicholson got an Oscar nomination for being in, I believe, just three scenes. I believe three. Um, but one of the best movie speeches ever. A movie you should go watch right now if you have not seen it. A Few Good Men. Follows that up with The Firm in 93. This is another excellent one. It's based on the John Grisham novel, Sidney Pollack movie about a hotshot lawyer, always hotshot, hired by an elite firm who may be hiding sinister intentions. Gene Triplehorn is great in this. Gene Hackman is really good too. And again, Holly Hunter gets an Oscar nom despite being in a small but fantastic role. I want to say she has like around 10 to 12 minutes in the movie, but gets Oscar nominated. Um, that's the power of Holly Hunter. This is the movie where Cruz sees a kid performing backflips just on the street and joins in with him exactly in sync. Like, there's not one muscle of their bodies that is not in sync with each other. And he also uses the line to flirt with his wife. She's, like, offering him eggs or something, and he's like, have you ever had eggs naked? And you're like, I don't... 
<laughs> what a line. Uh, it's an awesome thriller. Cruz once again proves his chops as an action star, which will come in handy in the coming years for sure. Can we get a movie that's like just like a bad lawyer? Like this dude just sucks at his job. <laughs> Too many hot shot lawyers. Well, <laughs> in the beginning of A Few Good Men, he is a lawyer who is known for just settling things. That's why the case is thrown his way. So I, he starts out as a bad lawyer in that one and then I'd becomes see, good. I don't want him to become good. I just want this guy to just be terrible. <laughs> just, just, wait for, just wait for the biopic about Amber Heard's lawyers. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, there will be like Deb V. Heard American Crime Story, <laughs> even though it's a civil suit. <laughs> You're absolutely right about that. Um, well, it could come in the legacy of bad movies, right? We always get bad Santa, bad teacher, uh, bad chiropractor. We're going to get bad lawyer. Bad lawyer. <laughs> In 94, we get Interview with the Vampire. This is the movie where Cruz and Brad Pitt are vampires based on the Anne Rice novel. It's a good movie. Not great. One of those where the first half is much better than the second half. It's like two different movies in one. One of the few times that Cruz is villainish. He's good. He's silly. Ultimately, this is the Brad Pitt show, so we can move on to 1996 where he has Mission Impossible. This was... We didn't know it at the time, but this this was to become his bread and butter... It's based on the 60s TV show, super big success, took in over $450 million. mainly critically successful. Cruz was the first time he was a producer on this one, along with Paula Wagner, who would become his producing partner. His first one was done by Brian De Palma, always great to see. There are quite a few impressive, propulsive action sequences. I don't have much personal affection for this one. The plot isn't particularly captivating to me. Cruz is playing it pretty straight as Ethan Hunt. It's good entertainment, not the kind of Cruz that I like the most, or rather not the kind of movie that I like him in the most, but luckily, the same year we got Jerry Maguire. I, uh, I just want to mention Mission Impossible real quick. I, I think it's funny that like the Mission Impossible had like this like fast and furious trajectory of like the first one's kind of like this this uh like slow paced spy thriller and then it just becomes like all out. Yeah. He's like jumping out of helicopters and stuff in the next yeah, you're absolutely. They they ramped it up, and you know what? It's I'll say this: we're not gonna go through every single one individually. Maybe we can do that when Dead Reckoning Part One comes out. But they gain more critical success over time, yeah. um, and they make a ton of money. Christopher McQuarrie heavily involved in that, and like I said, that's that's become his money maker. Not that he's not making money with other stuff, but that's his constant. Uh, Jerry Maguire, Tyler, what do you think of Jerry Maguire? I love Jerry Maguire, honestly. Uh, yeah. That's that's the best Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> movie. No, but I mean, yeah. like, I just, every time I think of, every time I think of, like, money, I just think of, show me the money. <laughs> it's like, just ingrained in my brain. It's it's iconic. Uh, this is the movie where, you know, Cameron Crowe, big hit for him. Thank God it was, because this is just such a brilliantly written and directed movie. Um, Crow was nominated for Best Original Screenplay and Picture. It's about a sports agent with a crisis of consciousness. Everyone in this movie is amazing. It's a very smart use of Cruz because he starts out as the hot shot, I'm the best at what I do, and very quickly infuses so much uncommon vulnerability in his character. He's sweaty, he's anxious, he's freaking out in the best possible way. The stretch from the yelling scene, show me the money and all the other stuff, to the flipping out when he walks back in the office, to the taking of the fish, to the car karaoke, 
every freak out he has in this movie some of the funniest stuff he has ever done uh this is his last lead actor oscar nomination to date he lost to jeffrey rush in shine renee zellweger is stupendous she's funny she's sweet you're completely rooting for her cuba gooding jr like you said he won the oscar deservedly so he's got so much energy his line delivery is great his character's got a, a great story jonathan lipnicki in the ultimate cute kid performance the scene where Cruz swears in front of him and like they make the pact after he swears that stuff is hilarious and it's not funny if young jonathan does not deliver that line great but he does and it's just a movie that makes you feel really good at the end love jerry Maguire. it's awesome three years later in 99 <laughs> one of the best movie years ever and here's a couple reasons for it one is eyes wide shut I don't know what to make of this movie, still. It's always so strange to me that this is Kubrick's last movie. It's about New York socialites, Cruz, and his real-life wife, Nicole Kidman. They're discussing male and female lust. She admits that she once wanted a sailor so badly that she thought of leaving her family for him. Cruz freaks out, and he goes on a sexual adventure that leads to a secret sex society where he gets caught up. <laughs> And all sorts of crazy stuff happens. It does tap into this thing where in some roles, Cruz, as I mentioned, being, you know, such a, a beautiful man, where his characters are cocky, but like in some roles, they don't seem to be aware of like how handsome or attractive or charming they are. This movie would be great to watch in a group if you get past the awkwardness, because once you turn on the lights and say, so what did everyone think? You will get as many different responses as there are people in the room. You guys have opinions on Eyes Wide Shut? I don't. I just I just find it like you said so odd that Stanley Kubrick like dropped this like with these with the studio and then like died like days later. <laughs> like what the hell is this? 99 we get another incredible uh, Magnolia. We talked about this. This is Paul Thomas Anderson's third movie. It's about, it has an ensemble cast of lonely people in the San Fernando Valley. You know, we talked about it on the episode. Go check that out. We went through his whole filmography. But this combines Cruz's watchability and his emotional performance abilities. I could watch him all day as the absurd Frank T.J. Mackey, the pickup artist life coach. His opening monologue is incredible. He's humping the air. He's doing backward somersaults. He's threatening to dropkick dogs. But then in other parts, he has the most heartbreaking scenes in the movie. This is his third and latest Academy Award nomination. Uh, he lost to Michael Caine for The Cider House Rules, which is another one of my favorite movies ever. So while I'm sad for Cruz, not totally sad. This is, the, I just want to say, this is probably my favorite Cruz performance. Yeah, excellent. What's your favorite scene, do you think? Uh, the scene, I don't want to spoil it, but the scene with okay. the father, it, it, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right in that. That's excellent. Um, Mission Impossible 2 in 2000. John Woo did that. Took in over half a billion dollars. Now the success, I don't believe, is critically successful, but that will come later. 2001, Vanilla Sky. This is Cruz's reunion with Cameron Crowe. It's a remake of the film Abre los Ojos. It's the story of a major publishing playboy. He's disfigured in a car accident, and he must navigate his new life. That was a very sparse description of the movie because this is one of the trippiest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> it has Cruz in a latex mask doing dance moves as he's being interviewed by Kurt Russell. 
There are a few strange developments in this movie. It gets very confusing. Uh, it's definitely getting at something deep about human relationships, about constructing your own reality, about the choices you make in life. This is unfortunately like kind of the unraveling of Cameron Crowe's filmography. This film still made $100 million, And I'm not saying his films are bad after this by any means, but after the massive success of Jerry Maguire and then Almost Famous after that, his critical success slid down a bit. His latest film was Aloha, which was uh, pretty pan, but I want to see Cameron Crowe come back. Either of you seen Vanilla Sky? I have, and I, I think I mentioned the only scene I saw, so I'm not going to say that on here. Yeah, let's watch it for yourself. <laughs> the only scene I remember, I should say. 2002, we get Minority Report. This is the first team up with Steven Spielberg, and I know I'm using a lot of superlatives on this episode, but this is one of the coolest sci-fi movies that I've ever seen. It's based on the story by Philip K. Dick about a pre-crime unit that detects crimes so that the offenders can be arrested before they do anything wrong. Much like Legend, this film is completely mesmerizing, except not fantasy. This is much more future tech aesthetic. Every scene, there's a new invention that blows you away. This is Cruz as an action star at the top of his game, supported by a great story, great direction from a legendary filmmaker. Samantha Morton is also excellent in this. Love Minority Report. Um, 2002, we also get his cameo in Austin Powers and Goldmember, which is kind of funny. We can move on. 2003, The Last Samurai. This is the Edward Zwick movie about an American military officer who is training a Japanese regiment and is captured by samurai. It was really successful upon its release, but has since become a highly criticized movie for its historical inaccuracies, its romanticizing of certain cultural aspects, and most of all, I would say, for the white savior narrative. On its surface, it's enjoyable. It's very beautifully photographed. Ken Watanabe is great. But the more you look into it, the cracks make themselves apparent. Um, I'm interested both if this movie will be reevaluated as time goes on or if people forget it. And if so, what will people have to say about this? Have you guys seen this one? I have. I genuinely enjoyed this movie. I do see the problems with the whole white savior thing and, and the cultural depiction. So, I mean, I really can't speak on that because, you know, that not really yeah. in the place to, but... Um, I mean, I see the the imperfections there, so I don't want to say it, but I did enjoy this movie. Yeah. After that, in 2004, we get Collateral, Tyler Go. Oh, this, this badass movie. Michael Mann is one of my favorite directors. I love Michael Mann, and this movie is incredible. Him and Jamie Foxx are so good in this. Just, oh, there's a scene, like, I think of it all the time with the briefcase scene. Where he just immediately just pulls his gun, drops three guys immediately. Mm. Um, I believe I, I remember reading it was like they wanted him, the script called for him to do it in one and like one point six seconds, and it took him one point three seconds to do it. Like that's badass. Yeah. Such a cool movie. Like all the like you don't get action movies like that anymore. Everything now is just like a John Wick knockoff. So mm. I, I just genuinely miss those kind of movies. Just. Every time I watch it, I'm just mesmerized by how good it is. Yeah. Matt, what do you think? It was decent. No, <laughs> I thought no. it was decent. Uh, no. You're cut off. It also includes the greatest line by Tom Cruise, which is a guy falls off a building onto a car, and Jamie Foxx is like, you killed him. And Tom Cruise responds, I didn't kill him. Bullets in the fall killed him. Yeah. No. <laughs> 
you're right. This movie, it's explosive. It's slick. It's really, really smart. Cruz is rocking the gray hair. He's got the gray suit uh, to match his gray suit in Rain Man. He has awesome chemistry with Jamie Foxx. Both of them are at the top of their game. So many scenes I could watch over and over. Not the least of which is the jazz club scene with Barry Shabaka Henley. He rocks the house in that scene. It's the best kind of semi-action thriller. Leans more to the thriller side. Super smart, super exciting. I love that movie. It's also one of those movies... I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but for years and years, I had memory of watching a movie... But I could not, for the life of me, figure out which one it was. The same scene kept playing over and over in my mind. I don't know why it stuck in my brain, but it did. And then when I watched Collateral years later, I realized that it was Collateral. That was in my brain the whole time. Um, it I know was the, what you mean. Yeah, I, it was the scene where they go to visit um, Max's mom in the hospital. I always remember seeing the trailer for this scene. Like It might have played like before Spider-Man 2 or something. Or it was around that time. And Man in the Box by Allison Chains played during the trailer. And I remember that was like one of the first times I really like heard that song and recognized it. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's a, that's a cool song. And then... Oh, really? Yeah. But I never saw the movie until much later because obviously it's not a kid's movie. No, no. You don't go from Spider-Man 2 to Collateral <laughs> generally, right? Um, 2005, we get War of the Worlds. This is his second sci-fi endeavor with Spielberg. This one is incredibly sobering. It's based on the book by H.G. Wells. It's about an alien invasion and the survival of a father and his two kids. This is a rarity where Cruz is a parent. Um, he never has kids in his roles. There's a couple of exceptions. He's a father in real life. Um, but he's very authentic here. This movie is much more of a downer than most uh, Spielberg movies, I would say. <coughs> Excuse me. The story involves aliens. There's an alien invasion. But more than the aliens, this is a very indicting and damning portrayal of humanity. This movie is genuinely terrifying. There are many scenes revolving around what humans will do when faced with life-threatening situations. In particular, the car scene is very frightening. I really like this movie. I don't think it's the best, um, but this is the last time that Spielberg and Cruz work together. Have either of you seen this one? I have, yeah. What do you think of it? So I, I did really like this movie, but the problem is I just can't think of it without thinking of the dumb, scary movie. <laughs> oh, and I can't yeah. separate them and they just overlap. <laughs> yeah. I know which one you're talking about, too. <laughs> Which one was that? Scary Movie 2? That was 3. 3? It had Simon oh, three, Rex okay. in it. Yeah. Yeah. Because then I think in 4, they parody the Oprah couch um, at the oh, very yeah. end. Which, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's bringing me to a nice transition because uh, 2005 War of the Worlds is a sobering movie. And around 2005 is also a very sobering time for Cruz's public persona. Um, this is where, you know, some of the Scientology stuff comes out. Not that people didn't know about it before, but we get the video kind of in this this few year period. We get the Oprah on the couch with Katie Holmes. Some of the lawsuits are coming to light. So his public image is, I'm not going to say tarnished because he's always been a star, but I would say tarnished in, in many people's eyes. Mm. Um, yeah, which, you know, he does... Mission Impossible 3 in 2006, 
J.J. Abrams did that one. It still makes a ton of money. And then in 2007, he makes Lions for Lambs. This is the least Cruzian movie that Cruz has ever been a part of. <laughs> He's in only maybe a third of it. He plays a senator that is interviewed about a new military strategy in Afghanistan. It's just one of those movies that seems... Like, you know when there is a big event, either worldwide or national... And then they make a movie about it, and you're like, this just seems too early for the movie about this. This is kind of what this is. Um, I will say, though, the casting of Cruz as a politician, particularly in 2007, makes total sense. Because he's such a charismatic guy, but the public has started to see that there's something unsettling underneath the surface, which makes the casting eerily good for playing a politician. He's opposite Meryl Streep as the journalist. Movie itself is ensemble. Um, Robert Redford did this. Michael Pena, Derek Luke, Robert Redford, uh, a young Andrew Garfield. It's like a lot of good things to say, but this story would probably be better in play form or in a series of essays. Most of the scenes, with a couple notable exceptions, are just like people sitting down talking in rooms. So it probably would have been better as a play. It's not terrible by any means. It just doesn't totally work in the film medium. 2008, we get maybe his strangest role in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> what do you guys got to say? So I love Tropic Thunder. I think it's genuinely one of the most funny movies I've seen. Uh, I, I watched this, I think, twice without even realizing it was Tom Cruise in that role. Um, you know, I was like 12 at the time, so I mean, I guess that. But like, he's just so unrecognizable in it. It's such a bizarre role for him. Yeah. Um, this is, of course, the Ben Stiller satire of Hollywood. He's playing Les Grossman, a Hollywood executive who will not accept failure. This is the biggest physical transformation Cruz has ever done. As He's so committed to staying in shape and transforming his body so he can do this physical stuff. And then this is the biggest, at least visual, transformation he has done. He's bald, hairy, larger than he usually is. He's talking about wiener cheese. He's dancing to Ludacris. Uh, apparently he thought up the character he read the script and apparently thought that the um the executive character was missing i don't know how true that is but that's what i read just when you think you've seen all his moves you haven't because he pulls this out this this whole thing is wild his you know the whole movie is crazy he just puts it up to an 11 on the crazy meter i don't know if we'll ever see anything quite like this again and i also just want to say side note i know this is a cruise pod but like I want to see Ben Stiller in front of the camera again. He's been behind the camera Absolutely. doing some great things. Ben Stiller is my hero, and one way or another, I will find a way to do an episode on him. <laughs> um, not a movie, but I do want to mention this. You know, there are a lot of rumors, things that float around that Cruz was in contention for the role of Tony Stark in Iron Man. And I just wanted to say, if that had happened, this would have been a whole different timeline that... I feel like would have solidified him as the biggest movie star of all time. Like, oh, absolutely. W- without a doubt. Would a Matt, would you have line. liked him? <laughs> oh, you wouldn't have liked it? No, I would have hated that. <laughs> I'm also going to agree. I don't think it is as good as what they got with Robert Downey Jr., who is, you know, he's, he's iconic in that character now. Um, as much as I love Cruz, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. was the way to go. But it is interesting that, like, he would have been this star of all these high, 
high critically acclaimed, high box office dramas for 20 years, and then he would have been part of the biggest franchise to ever have existed in movies. That would have been an insane trajectory, Um, but alas, he did not. Here's a question for you then. So obviously he can't play Tony Stark, but what if we recasted him in some other Marvel role? I mean, I guess I'm asking myself this as well as you guys. Personally, I'm here for Tom Cruise's Morbius. I feel like that would have been a better movie. I think it, well, I don't know if it would have been, a, it may have been more entertaining. <laughs> I don't know if it would have been better. That script is pretty bad. Maybe Captain America. He might. It's, he probably would have been too old by that point. But a younger Tom Cruise I can see as Captain America, um, which I think would have been maybe symbolic of his persona. But I don't know. What about I don't you, know Tyler? if he fits into the MCU. What's that? You're not paying attention to my questions? No, I'm sorry. I was looking something up for a later movie to reference. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we were talking about um, if Tom Cruise can't be Iron Man, who should he have been or should he be in the MCU if we do get if they do get him? Oh, out of any character? I, I said Morbius just because... Why not? Yeah. Uh, Morbius would be phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> I, anyone you could put put anyone in any of these roles. Honestly, I, fair look, enough. Whatever. I should have known your MCU apathy would come through <laughs> to that question. Uh, we get to a period after where the next decade, the 2010s, is pretty much crews doing mostly action genre movies that are pretty good nothing spectacular there are some exceptions you know the mission impossible series has been very critically acclaimed makes a lot of money and they've really upped the action every single time so those have done very well but as far as the standalone movies you know for instance in 2008 we get valkyrie this is based on the true story of a german resistance movement that plotted to assassinate hitler and top nazi officials to suppress nazism and restore more peaceful germany Cruz plays Colonel von Stauffenberg. Apparently the real von Stauffenberg family took issue with Cruz's casting because of his Scientology practices. It's a very fascinating story that should have been a book or a documentary um, because this is quite a dull movie. I just don't know if it works in this medium. It's hard to make this dramatically compelling since we all know the ending before the movie begins. And it's not like it's a revisionist story like a Tarantino film. The facts of the story are good. You know, Cruz, Cruz feels out of place in it. I think he was miscast. I agree. It, it still did quite well at the box office, but, you know, again, this is the beginning where Cruz is not the total center of movie culture. I saw this movie in theaters and can't remember anything about it. <laughs> yeah, I watched this a couple of weeks ago and couldn't can't remember, which, except, like, various angles of people standing there and talking which i'm not making fun of people talking in movies but that you know the impression that i'm trying to give you're absolutely right uh 2010 we get night and day night with a k it's pretty fun action comedy romance james mangold cruises an assassin spy guy it's maybe one of the most purely comedic performances he's had Cameron Diaz is fun, too. She gets caught up in this international battery scheme. There are a few ridiculous things about it. I overall like it. Cameron Diaz, I would also say, probably one of the most effective co-stars for Cruz. He is not always somebody who's had amazing chemistry with all of his co-stars. And I don't mean that in like a negative way. It just 
you know, for instance, Demi Moore and Tom Cruise in A Few Good Men just does not work. Even like Renee Zellweger and Cruise and Jerry Maguire, the sort of like little lack of chemistry works for the relationship in that movie. You'll know what I'm talking about if you see it. Um, but it's not him having chemistry with co-star is not a big motif in his career. Uh, MI4, Ghost Protocol, Brad Bird did that one. 2012, Rock of Ages. Either you guys seen Rock of Ages? I have not. No. Don't see it. This is a, <laughs> a musical that uses rock hits of the 70s and 80s. It is based on the stage show by Chris Darienzo. I don't want my opinion of this movie to reflect on the stage show. Um, one, because I have not seen the stage show, and two, because this is one of the most cartoonish movies that I have ever seen. <laughs> it's sort of an ensemble, and Cruz plays Stacy Jacks, the ultimate sex craze addict rock star. He's wearing chaps, he's holding hands with a monkey, he's singing a power ballad directly into a woman's butt crack. I'm not joking. He's peeing on people's shoes, and there's a scene where there are like multiple zoom-ins on him as he's on stage seeming to pleasure himself right on stage that's what it looks like you only see him from the back but there's some some heavy arm movements going on in front of him and they just zoom in on this multiple times it's probably probably the most like wildly sexual he's ever been and that's including eyes wide shut where he's like a little more reserved his singing is good he's a good singer i don't think he's fantastic this movie was not a hit everything about it is pretty stereotypical music story stuff right it is like it's almost like walk hard um but not as as self-aware just go on youtube don't watch this movie go on youtube and watch the russell brand and alec baldwin scene to see why this movie wasn't a hit and you'll (laughs) i'm I don't want to be mean, but I was I was watching that scene and I'm like, oh, this is why people don't like movies. <laughs> uh, I also don't know I don't know how to feel about musicals made up of existing songs. I feel similarly about this that I do about Mamma Mia, which is that it's a musical with a story that isn't super interesting with songs that are fine as performed, but I'd rather just listen to their original recordings. Um, yeah, no, no Rock of Ages. 2012 also has Jack Reacher. It's based on the character in book One Shot by Lee Child. It's about a former military policeman who investigates a sniper who shot several people one morning. It's got good performances. Rosamund Pike, David O'Yellow, Robert Duvall reunioning with Cruz after Days of Thunder. I think the first half of this is quite good. There's a hilarious scene where Cruz is sassing an entire group of people in a bar. It's a pretty good crime throw that really fizzles toward the end. There was much uproar about Cruz's casting as Jack Reacher, who is supposed to be a famously <laughs> huge guy, and Cruz is famously not a huge guy. Um... Still, it was quite successful. This sort of like caps off the the partnership with Christopher McQuarrie, um, along with the Mission Impossible stuff. 2013, we get Oblivion, in which I I struggle to describe this movie because I struggle to understand it, frankly. Cruz's character and his wife serve as drones in the year 2077 when Earth is desolate. The rest of this movie is a confusing mess, at least to me. (laughs) 
it, it was directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who directed Top Gun Maverick, and I believe has uh, the film adaptation of of uh, Escape from Spiderhead later this year. I like the look of Oblivion a lot. There's a cohesive art there. It's very pristine and like clean desolation. There's a lot of white and gray. The story is all over the place and none of it is very interesting. I would have liked to have been in this world with a better script. Have you guys seen yeah. Oblivion? I did see Oblivion. Well, I, I'll, I'll amend that. I saw some of Oblivion. Uh, I, I was drawn in from this movie, from the trailers of the look, like you said. Like, yeah. like oh, this looks kind of cool. And then I watched some of it, and I was so bored out of my mind yeah. <laughs> that I stopped watching it. I will, I will not accept this Elder Scrolls floor slander. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's much better. Play Oblivion yeah. instead of seeing Oblivion. That's funny. That's a funny callback. Uh, 2014, the next year, we get Edge of Tomorrow. Let's you might go. also know this. Yeah, <laughs> as they had to rebrand it as Live, Die, Repeat. Um, Matt, you like this one. What do you think of it? This is the only one, one of the only Tom Cruise movies besides a couple I've spoken on before that I feel strongly enough about. I, I don't know what it was about this movie. I just, I just genuinely enjoyed the premise of it. I like the idea of like the sort of Groundhog Day effect where you... Like, in movies like, you know, Groundhog Day, this movie, Happy Death Day, where, like, you see the same chain of events over again, but you can see how slight changes to um, choice of action can really affect the outcome. I always find that premise super interesting whenever it's done, and this one's got a cool, like, sort of sci-fi mech suit aesthetic to it that I enjoyed. Mm. Um, Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, fantastic. Yeah, I think you said it all. Tyler, what do you think of it? I, I do really like this movie, and I just think the scene of like the death montage, the beginning where like he, he mistimes a roll under a truck yeah. and gets run over <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely yeah, hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that movie too. Uh, rapid Fire, we get MI5 in 2015. We get a Jack Reacher sequel, Jack Reacher Never Go Back. Fun re- fact about Jack Reacher, they've already rebooted this. <laughs> yes, they have. And people are like, oh, thank God, there's a huge guy. Yeah, he's not huge. He's properly he's properly a large man. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't seen it, but he looks like he has zero charisma, though. Oh. So from, from little I've seen, I thought the same, but people are like, oh, that's what Reacher needs to be. And I'm like, okay, it just seems like an uninteresting character. <laughs> He's but just, he's huge. He's got to be a huge dumb guy that just has no emotion. Every, every, That's what I want. Every still of him just just he has just like this blank like emotionless expression. There, there is, I will say, from the clips I've seen, he just carries that emotionless expression through the, the live action. I mean, if that's what the character's supposed to be, then fine. But I gotta watch a clip of this now. <laughs> That's funny. Um, the Mummy in 2017. Oh, this one hurts because it was supposed to be the start of the new Dark Universe, which was something I was very excited about. Reboots of the old Universal monster movies. You know, we were supposed to get Angelina Jolie as the Bride of Frankenstein, or get Javier Bardem, all sorts of cool stuff. This movie, despite. Um, having a good box office lost a lot of money it was critically panned 
and it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. It's just all over the place. The tone is not right at all if you're trying to make a dark universe. I think this should be like gothic and creepy, but it's kind of generic action movie with, you know, some like ancient curses thrown in. It's not very fun or dramatic. Cruise is doing pretty 2010s Cruise action star stuff, which again works in MI, but not anywhere else. This whole Dark Universe project, I think, is one of the biggest disappointments for me in recent years. They've tried to revive it with Invisible Man, which I don't even think was supposed to be part of that in the first place. They say Ryan Gosling is going to be Wolfman. Is that something you guys would be interested in? I mean, I'm curious to see how it pan out. Yeah, I'd, t- I'd take it one project at a time. Like, Invisible Man was fantastic. I loved Invisible Man. But I'm not yeah. going to... I think too many studios are trying to hop on the cinematic universe bandwagon. I agree. I I just want to know... I don't want to spoil Invisible Man, but watching Invisible Man, how do you bring that into a bigger universe? Um more invisible people <laughs> just multiple people i mean the tech the technology's out there so mm. yeah but still i mean like if you have no ties to that other than the suit it's just like okay yeah it, it is kind of just like oh another person's wearing it which you know could oh be no okay. the mummy's fighting an invisible man <laughs> yeah if they had done this as well as like an mcu you know they pu- pulled off the individual stuff in the world building this would be like my favorite franchise um but it was not to be another thing i just want to say just, about oh, i'm sorry go ahead oh if you were gonna say something about the mummy I have something yeah to add at the i end. just one thing about the mummy is that i feel like if they're going to do these movies specifically the mummy it can be an opportunity to explore the actual consequences of invading the sacred places of other cultures and they kind of attempt that, but it always devolves into a big set piece fight. I feel like that aspect, that sort of like culture clash, not even clash, just like an invasion aspect is like never addressed. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. So this movie had the funniest trailer ever. Um, <laughs> and what I was looking at before was I was trying to look at what movie I was at when I saw it. And I think it was John Wick Chapter 2. And oh. it... It literally they they accidentally cut it without most of the sound, so there was no dialogue, just just sound effects. Uh, some sound effects were like in a scene where there's a plane flying and like birds break through, and the only sound you hear is the pilots going ah, <laughs> and then yeah. and then you get when the plane's going down, you get Tom Cruise going ah ah. <laughs> That's the only sound. And I was watching this in a theater, and I was like, what is this? <laughs> Why is this like? And it turns out they, they had to fix it and add the sound back and they accidentally released it unfinished. I can't believe that that I remember when you showed me that. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, if you have a chance, watch the mummy trailer, the unfinished one. It's hilarious. So yeah. If you if you find a link for it, send that to me. That sounds awesome. I, just I will. Uh, also in 2017 we get American Made. This is based on the life of Barry Seal, who was a commercial pilot who came to work for both the U.S. government and drug cartel. This movie is a good entry in the genre of regular Joe comes to profit off of illegal activities, has a period of ecstasy, then due to various mistakes and circumstances has his downfall. That's a genre all its own. I think they had a section for it at Blockbuster. This is akin (laughs) to like White Boy Rick or War Dogs is the first example that came to my mind. Um, or like maybe Lord of War. 
It's got very erratic energy. It's one of the few dramatic roles he has had in the last decade. Uh, and he's quite good in it, except his southern accent very comes in and out, which I, I try not to get on actors too much about accents, um, but it is quite noticeable. Still, he gives good performances. This character is like a mix between his character in Risky Business and Top Gun. He's a pilot who is committing illegal activities and feeling good about it. Have you guys seen this one? I haven't even heard of this one, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I only remember seeing a couple trailers for it. I can't say that I recommend it. There's plenty of better movies here um, to recommend. So there was that, and then in 2018... Oh, can I just bring oh, up a real quick thing on the accent thing you brought up? I just want to say the worst thing imaginable of that, like worst example imaginable, was I think Abby Cornish in like the first season of... Uh, what what's that John Krasinski CIA show? Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Okay, I was thinking <laughs> not Jack Reacher. Not Jack like, Reacher. Not Jack right. Ryan. But she she literally just like forgets to put on the American accent and just talks whole lines in her Australian accent. And you're just like what? And then goes back to it. Like I'm like, how did they not notice this? But it, she again, slips so often. Who was not there to tell her that? Yeah. Does, you know, uh, everyone was like, that's fine. Does John Krasinski look at the camera when she does it? Yeah, he does. He yeah, does. he makes a point. That's like in, in Home Sweet Home Alone when Pete Holmes says Troblerone, which is fine. You've heard me stutter nine billion times on this episode, but no one no one told you? Moving on. Uh, 2018, we get MI6 Fallout. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie did that, made almost $800 million, and that brings us to Top Gun Maverick, which we are going to discuss on a separate episode in the near future, but I want to ask you guys, what do you want in the future from Tom Cruise? Because we're getting um, Mission Impossible 7 and 8, Dead Reckoning Parts 1 and 2. Do you want to see him stick in the action lane? Do you want to see more dramatic stuff? Do you want to see him in a scary movie? What do you want? I want him in an elevated horror movie, absolutely. <laughs> Give me an A24 Tom Cruise role. Please. Watch him pop up in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Oh. I'd be so that'll, disappointed. That'll, that'll, that'll get you guys to watch it. I think that would just really rip me in half. I, I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> it's act, it's I, actually I, Tom Cruise playing Pete Davidson, playing... <laughs> Whatever he's oh, playing. No, stop. Bodies. I've had I've had such a good time this episode. Let's not oh. <laughs> I want to see him return to more dramatic stuff. I don't know if he's going to do that because his main commitment over the past decade and change has seemed to be I want to be the biggest box office star in the world. Um, and dramas just don't make even really successful ones just don't make that much nowadays like it's been incredible um to see everything everywhere all at once make as much money as it has and i'm not saying that's the most mainstream drama out there it's not um but even mainstream drama is not making the same amount of money that rain man was making back in the day but that's what i would love especially as he you know transitions we know he's going to do the movie in space um but hopefully, hopefully he can do more dramatic stuff. That's what I would love. Any final thoughts on Tom Cruise? I like that they kind of... I, I saw a tweet referencing this, and I just want to mention it. Like, they set up MI, uh, Mission Impossible for, like, Jeremy Renner to take the reins. And, like, because they thought Tom Cruise was aging out, and now he's just... He's back. Like, yeah. I love that. 
<laughs> yeah, he doesn't. Uh, he's not quitting anytime soon. Which, if you watch Top Gun Maverick, you will know that. All right. Well, if you have any thoughts on Tom Cruise, any of his movies on Top Gun Maverick, please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. Please, if you like the show, tell it to a friend, a fellow movie lover. Rate and review it on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ScreensaversPod. And our Facebook is Silver Screen Savers Podcast. Matt, where can you be found online? You can find me over at MattyXSturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. All right, Tyler. Find me at, at Tyler Sutkus on Instagram and Twitter and at Letterboxd at Tyler96. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallet and on Letterboxd at MGallet. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Sorry for hurting your ears with the yelling. We'll see you next time. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel.